Tonight, we discuss Devotion and why it's the best picture of 2022, or why it isn't. Then we'll continue our Star Trek Deep Space Nine watch through with season two, or with season two, episode two and three. All this coming up right now on The Thing. And welcome back to the Ryder Brothers, the best place to be on Tuesday nights on YouTube. I am your host, Petey York, joined, as always, by the lovely Mr. Corion, Witch in Residence, the lovely who wanted to come back for more, Miss H. Marie, and, of course, Mr. Poyo Zapatos. And it looks like we already have people in the chat. Nemesis of Eden, who stopped by. Arende, welcome. And Rami with Hydro Pond, Hydro E-Girls. That's correct. This show is PG-13. And uh, so, yeah, we try to keep it somewhat classy and clean here. Or at least as classy and clean as PG-13 will allow. Well, I, I think I'll, I'm probably the closest to all y'all of being an E-Girl. So, hey, guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to Corio's. Uh, we don't mention that site here. Um, <laughs> so, rockin' pink. Everybody, uh, what, how's everyone doing tonight? We ready to discuss why oh, Devotion's up, the man. greatest movie ever made? Uh, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. I honestly, <laughs> I was told that there's, I was told there's breaking news. This just in, the fire. Yeah. Is so, on. If you guys wouldn't mind, I'm gonna set up a screen here yeah go for it uh looks like uh let's see we have this place doesn't like chess no pawns <laughs> and uh, rami is a troll and should be banned okay we'll keep that in mind uh and uh haven't seen that movie yet well that's really too bad because it's great and we're going to talk about it but it's historic so we're not really uh spoiler policy is a bit loose on this one um, but first, Corion, you have some news to talk about in the world of Dungeons and Dragons. And of course, you provided this lovely meme for us to go over. Yeah. And uh, so, why don't you go ahead and bring everybody up to speed? All right. So to give a little bit of background, for those who do not know, um, my nerd card is f fully punched on tabletop role-playing games. I have been playing literally since the first version of Dungeons and Dragons um, and I've played my way through. I actually have on my desk there a copy of the Rules Cyclopedia before they made them the Encyclopedia. Um, and that's, you know, that that's literally as far as you can bloody take it um, in terms of how deep you can go. So one of the big pieces that came across recently is fifth edition now has been alive and kicking for now 10 years. And they decided it's time for a sixth edition, which they've tentatively named one D and D as in the one D and D to bring them all and in the courtroom, bind them. See when D and D in the nineties was released, they put together something called the open gaming license. Now this was an awesome idea I've gone into it more depth in my video, but the basics of it are anybody can produce content for D&D, &D, 
put it up for other people to buy or to look at or to produce. And Wizards of the Coast has nothing to do with it. So you can make adventures for your friends if they really like it. You can put it up on like a Kickstarter, get a book made, fast track your way into, you know, the future of tabletop gaming. Well, apparently Wizards of the Coast has decided that they don't like that idea at all. And that they've decided now instead they're going to go with the OLG 1.1. Now, the reason why this matters is because 1.1 deauthorizes the old 1.0 gaming license, which we all built content on. It They've decided that the new one is now irrevocable and immutable unless they're the ones changing it. You now need to seek approval from them before any content you get made. Now, for those who are not aware, Wizards of the Coast is very deep and hard into the paint on diversity and inclusivity. So if you make something that they feel does not meet their particular standards of diversity and inclusivity, they can simply decide you no longer have the right to publish any content for D&D ever. But here's why that's annoying. They can make that change, but they also added in a, a real fun one, which is they one get royalties for anything you produce, and two, or and two, the other big one, they own anything that you produce. So they can quite literally decide we don't approve of your your content for whatever reason, but then reproduce it in one of their books and sell it at profit. Needless to say, that's a deal breaker for a lot of the big name publishers. There are a couple of other pieces that... Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. There are a couple of big pieces in there, including they wanted to do a 25% royalty flat on anything you produce. Now, for those who have never produced a game book, 25% is basically your profit margin. So you're screwed if you try to deal with anything in this manner under this license. The good news is the cavalry has come in. Paizo makes a game called Pathfinder, which is very similar to D&D, but uses a slightly different rule set. Different enough that it doesn't actually owe wizards any tribute of any kind. And they have decided to go to war over this. And they've decided to go to war because not only are they among the people that were initially among those that created the open gaming license, but they were the ones that helped put down the, the rule set and the rules for the open gaming license, saying you cannot revoke this license and are prepared to go to court to defend the open gaming license 1.0. Additionally, they are also offering their own gaming license now. The open RPG, uh, RPG tabletop, uh, I believe it's uh, Concern or something along those lines, or Orc for short. So All right, uh, just real quick, obligatory like and subscribe remark. If you guys like what you're seeing, please like, share. It really helps us to grow the channel. It's all yeah. we hit 10 viewers figured it say the thing. Absolutely. So, you know, the time of man is over. The time of orc has begun. 
and every third-party publisher involved in D&D has effectively signed on to go with Orc instead of the original 1.0 license. So Wizards is in trouble. And what was their response to the trouble that they're seeing now? That people are actively canceling their subscriptions to D&D uh, resources? Well, they've decided to say, Psych, guys, even though we sent a demand with the Open Gaming License 1.1 as a contract and demanded that you sign by Friday, um, it was actually just a test to see if everybody was on board with the changes we made. So really, it's a tie and everybody wins. If any of you remember the ending of um, uh, Thor 3, where um, Jeff Goldblum comes out and kind of tries to pull that stunt, it's going over about as well as when Jeff Goldblum tried to pull that stunt. The market is furious. Everybody's raring to go. I'm commenting on my updates for this because of what Wizards of the Coast has attempted to do in gaslight the fans into believing that this was all some sort of elaborate gag. It, yeah, and um, let's. <laughs> so I guess they all think let's you're call stupid. That out. Like, yeah. Well, no. Well, no, I want to go with it. They, they say they say inclusivity and diversity, and a lot that comes with the woke speak is the word gaslighting. It, it's really made its come to power, and and it's actually a psychological phenomenon during speech and conversation. And uh, I thought you guys were supposed to be against that. Yep. So yeah, Way the to, new uh, stick to your standard. Yeah, so so real quick, we'll or get to the we'll get to I the guess. fan mail here in a second. But I just I want to make sure. So I'm not a D and D player, sure, and so I'm not as familiar. But listening to what you're describing, I think there is a situation that I can relate to that I understand. And this honestly sounds a lot like when CBS sued the Axonar production. Yes, um, but in this situation. It looks like the actual fans and players have a leg to stand on. Is that correct? That's absolutely the case. You've got it dead okay. on. The difference is... Not um, only a leg to stand on, but also Wizards of the Coast, you're nerds too. Way to repeat history. Yeah. Well, as I was... Let, let me get this in here, because this is important to understand too. What's going on in the fandom is the D&D resource portal acts as, for better, for lack of a better term, a DLC portal for D&D. People go in there and buy access to the resources they wouldn't have unless they bought specific books to get them. Okay. En masse, the community has started canceling their D&D Beyond, which is what this website is, um, accounts. In order to blatantly say we've had enough, we're not going to be playing D&D anymore. Now, for D&D 1, this new 6th edition they're producing, their intention is to have everybody's work, everybody's, go through one D&D, through D&D Beyond. And you would actually be paying a subscription service to them to be able to be allowed, permitted, if you will, to create characters for this new edition. Incidentally, the current CEO of uh, of Wizards of the Coast You'd came from Microsoft's Xbox DLC to pay to version. Do work. Yeah, you right. have to pay them you, for the privilege. You'd be allowed to pay corporate. Yeah, to work uh, for right. corporate. 
All right, so let's, uh, yeah, this sounds like it's, uh, okay, so we'll definitely get into it here in a second. Rende writes in, the sad thing is, I own a lot of 5e books. I sure as heck won't throw them away, but I may not buy more D&D stuff. The OGL cool. 1.0, or 1.0a does have some restrictions, but they are reasonable. Yeah. Look, I am all for reasonable restrictions. Hell, I would even be completely okay if they decided that they needed an addendum to the OLG, or the, yeah, the OGL, I should say, to say, we are going to put together a, a community-led group that is going to decide if something that was created by a bunch of writers is, is you know, racist, sexist, homophobic, whatever, right? Put together, but have it done by the community, not by the people that would be profiting from it. I would be totally down for that. Basically you know, how like, Twitter's fact-checking has been lately gonna, since Musk took over. It's all the it's all people putting in their we're counterpoints. Gonna the, yeah. We're going to pay the best among you to proofread your peers' work. And and whoever proofreads the most is going to get the most paid. That's what the addendum should be. Yeah, pay I mean, them. Like, if you really want them to go through the work, you really want somebody to make sure this is good, offer them very measly something. Make it the Uber of proofreading. It's Even not just, that hard of a concept and not that hard of an app to generate. Like, stop yeah. going with the worst option first. Or even just have it be labeled as peer-reviewed. And in the peer review, people can sit down and go, these are the, the, the things that might be inappropriate for younger audiences. You know, like you will find yeah, in this book. Tags. like Yeah, exactly. G. P, PG, PG-13, RX. It's already a perfect system that everybody in America mostly understands. So, like, yeah. make everybody understand it for your game and your writing. Yeah, That's I mean, we're I'd, doing be, here. I'd be completely down with that. I'd be completely fine with that. I don't think anyone would have an objective, uh, an objection to it. But they decided that, you know, it it's too open to abuse the way they've done it. They're attempting to pull the wool over gamers' eyes. And look, the one thing you can say about tabletop gamers, collectively, is that they are incredibly good at organizing. If they wouldn't, they'd never be able to get together for a game. So taking and on this community was a bad Even call. worse, Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast, way to witch hunt in the community that has only ever been called witches because they dared to spend time imagining fun adventures rather than smoking and drinking all day. Like way to be the worst thing that has happened to D and D ever again, repeating history. You guys think you're smart, but you don't even look back on the legacy of your company, yeah. let alone the legacy of your product, let alone the legacy of your long-term decisions effects. Yeah. Like, and, and John, maybe do an I think, ounce of quality assurance. Yeah. I think what you're saying perfectly ties into nemesis of Eden's comment. Um, nemesis of Eden writes in, I'm still doing my D all my D and D things. F what W O T C says, come get mm -hmm. my money and ideas. You can take them from my cold, dead hands. Darn right. Love the attitude. Nemesis of Eden. That's fantastic. And look, I'm, Here's what I'm going to say. If you guys have 5th edition books, if you guys have supported Wizards of the Coast in the past, by all means, keep what you've got. Work with what you've got. Do what you feel is right. 
what I am saying is going forward, I am not buying any Wizards of the Coast materials. And I would encourage others to do the same. But ultimately, you need to choose what you want to do. And I would support anyone who decided, you know what? I still like Wizards of the Coast. I'm still going to buy their stuff. But if you guys are also looking for like the new ultimate big bad, Wizards of the Coast is a perfectly D&D legal name. Why not make them the ultimate bad guy? Because obviously they're trying to destroy you from the inside out. That's an awesome literary device. Oh, yeah. And destroy uh, themselves in the process. Real acid yep. drinking situation. Rami asks in the chat, hard in the paint? I wonder if this license is also retroactive. They wanted to make the new license retroactive. It's something that the community has really gone hard that they are absolutely not going to be behind. Wizards of the Coast is trying to walk that back now and say, oh, well, we weren't going to, we're not going to make the, you know, we've heard the community, we're not going to make it retroactive. So that should solve the problem. And we're like, no, it doesn't solve anything. Because if we let you get away with this this time, what's going to happen is they're going to try to slide this stuff in very slowly like an old boyfriend trying to get into a girl's dms it's they're gonna try to do it version of stealing ever it's even worse than a a girl getting a guy sliding into a girl's dms it's it's that dude on netflix the most hated person on the internet who would literally slide into people's emails and steal their nudes like that's what they're doing that's what they're proposing to do is they get to steal everything in your account Thanks. Except without the thanks. You pay us for this service. For us to steal from you, you pay for it. You pay to be stolen from. Like, Mm -hmm. grow up. Stop acting like you're smart. Stop acting like you're running a positive company. You are literally bulldozing yourself and your fans for no reason other than short-term self-satisfaction. I bet you this was a cocaine idea. Get off the drugs, well, guys. No, I, I honestly know exactly what it was. The guys who designed this whole process came from the video game industry, where you can get away with things like on-disc DLC Stealing. and grabbing content from players and you know just making mods official and not remunerating the mod makers you can get away with that stuff in video games because the video game players have never organized into a collective force that has just flat out said no. The thing that they're trying to do though right now, look, I put the math together really easy. If you have to create your content through for one D for sixth edition on their site, if you have to, once you've done that, it's now on their site and in their control. So let's say you create a character for your game that has an elaborate backstory and you've really thought it out and they go, hey, that's a great idea. Well, I guess I'm putting him in a novel now and I'm not going to give the original creator any credit. That's what they're doing here. Or, you know, some DM sits down and goes, hey, this system isn't working really well. It's clunky. I've got a house rule now that I'm going to publish out to my players that fixes it. They go... Oh, well, we're just going to add that into the the newest edition 
of the book that we're releasing to everyone and we're going to make them pay extra to get the latest build of it. That's what's coming if we don't stand up against this. And look, tabletop RPGs are the last bastion of truly free independent gaming out there. Okay? Everywhere else has been infected by corporate play uh, by corporate playing. This is it. I want to I want to rephrase that. It's free un in, uninterrupted independent game inspiration there you go the number of writers at the game developer conference and the number of videos that i've seen said DD was the reason i became the writer of x game like not just writers but graphic designers character artists all of it every iteration of the gaming industry comes from DD because DD was the thing that protected them from the bullies and now wizards of the coast you are the bullies know that know that you are being a bully right now even by pretending that you weren't being a bully you're gaslighting us into pretending that you're good own up to your bullying be honest about it and say you made a mistake like an adult yeah so I, i wanted to get that off my chest i wanted to get that out there to you guys and the community um I posted my first ever and hopefully my last true rant video about this. Um, And I hope I never have to again. And I know that with a community like we have here and the the tabletop RPG community that exists out there, we can affect change. So let's do that. Let's be that better example for other people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nemesis of Eden says, I agree, Corion. I'm not purchasing any of the WOTC products. They are so greedy. I bought the Curse of the Strata, or I guess, oh, Strahd. Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd special edition, and it came with some knickknacks, a DM screen, and a paperback copy of... Curse of Strahd. Yeah, Curse of Strahd. Uh, I've never forgotten it. Cheap. Cheap bastards. Rami writes in, getting into girls' DMs is kind of NC-17. Watch it now. Well, okay, we're not going to share content. And, of course, we don't endorse breaking into people's personal messages. Um, Arende says, they don't care about their clients from a leaked internal email. They see the fan as an obstacle to their money. Well, doesn't that just, sounds familiar. Like, oh, I don't know, every freaking movie show production company out there right now. Especially freaking Paramount. And I agree, but no, here's the key. that just talk Here, to their marketing? Well, hold on, but here's the key. We have an opportunity now Ogilvy to said? stop them. Yeah. But now we have an opportunity to put an end to this. We have a moment in time where, as, as the nerddom community, who knows that D&D is like, you know, it's the motherland of nerddom. We can form a line. We can put down, we can stand on the bridge and let them know that this will not pass. Significant corporate change if they're going to try to play this game. All right. Well, appreciate you taking the time to say that. And uh, yeah, I guess we'll just watch that as it comes. Um, I know D&D is a huge point in the in throughout various gaming communities and even though i don't particularly partake 
I do know how it's important to you. And, uh, well, you know, I also like having current event stuff to show on the show to try to get us more viewers. So it works out. Um, H. Marie, did you have any thoughts on this whole debacle by chance? Any any ideas you want to share? Well, if someone who's never played D&D in her life, Pathfinder sounds rather interesting now. Uh, the cu- character customization has always been a favorite of mine in, in video games, so being able to do something like that and build a character sounds super interesting to me. Yeah, I, you know, I think it might be kind of neat to... H. Maria, if you're up for it down the road, we may do a video series where I, you know, teach you guys how to play Pathfinder. That might be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm game. You know, tutorial for, for new players where you guys get to experiment with it a little. I mean, if I'm game, you know the other one is going to be there regardless. So. Hey, Nemesis of Eden writes in, I'd love to try Pathfinder. I just need to find a group. Well, I, you know, we'll see Well, Nemesis of Eden, have I got an idea for you? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. If you missed it last year, uh, because it came out in September and was very poorly advertised for whatever dumb reason, Devotion is available to watch in the comfort of your home on Paramount+. Plus or possibly by other means that we don't endorse on this show. Um, I'm just going to say my little bit, and you guys can, you know, feel free to be wrong, or excuse me, disagree. (laughs) I really like this movie, if you couldn't tell. Um, Devotion is a $90 million masterpiece. Um, It is everything that I expect from a war movie like that. I didn't feel bored at any point. There was tons of warplane porn, And, you know, it also made me realize that uh, propeller planes sound way cooler than jets. Uh, Basically because a Corsair is just a flying muscle car. On top of that, the story, the narrative was really well put together. Everybody who acted it was great. The, The scenes were very good at portraying the emotion necessary for each time. And it's just, it's a fantastic movie. Uh, one of the best I've I've seen in a long time. I'm probably actually going to watch it again. And I rarely ever watch movies twice these days. So, um, Nemesis Veden says, on that note, I'm out. Stay amazing, you beautiful people. See you all again soon. YouTube man, thanks for stopping by. Always a pleasure to, to get your perspective when we're on live. But hey, you're more than welcome to drop your thoughts afterwards. So, yeah, um, I thought Devotion was really good. I definitely think it's worth everybody viewing at least once. And, uh, uh, but from there, uh, Corion, why don't you go ahead and, and continue things from there? Well, since it's boring, if we all agree, allow me to please take a dissenting opinion. Yeah, well, looks like we're not going to get into to DS9 tonight. Go ahead. <laughs> um, To me, this felt like the kind of movie that you only really produce if you're hunting an Oscar. Okay. And yes, there are some major things that it does good, but it's also telling what could be. Sorry to interrupt. Those light effects, just amazing. That looked like real fire. (laughs) So the, the whole piece that look, this story you knew was going to be a little divisive when they decided to tell the story of one of the early black aviators who no, the was first in an integrated unit. Yeah. The first black aviator in an integrated unit, you knew this was going to start becoming divisive right then and there. 
and that a significant portion of the story was going to be devoted to, you know, um, <laughs> how you almost said dealing the thing. Racism. Yeah. Um, you know, like dealing with racism. Now, what I found very interesting was it was very clearly done, to, at least to my opinion, that this movie was done as an almost direct response to Top Gun Maverick. And in my opinion, was really designed to make sure that Maverick was not going to be in a position to get any Oscars when they could say, yeah, but we have a warplane movie too. And it has diverse casting and it has, you know, a, a important story to, to black activists. And I'm like, yes, it is, but it looks like, but the optics of this the timing feels convenient. Stuff. Yeah. Now, do I think this is a story that absolutely needed to be told? Yeah, I do. Do I feel like the story did not exactly portray Jesse as a likable character? Yeah, I feel that way too. Okay. I feel like there were a lot of times where while he was definitely dealing with some pretty horrible racism and there's no sugarcoating that. I also feel that he had some significant trust issues when it came to white people. And that's not necessarily a good thing either, right? It, it, okay, but that's what I absolutely loved about it was was okay. everything you described. So first of all, I understand what you're saying. I get where you're coming from. It's definitely convenient for the times. I get that. But yeah. the thing is, and this is what I you know end up disagreeing with people on and, and other places about similar subject matter is, okay, yes or no, did this did this event happen? Yes yeah. or no, did that horrible shit happen to him? Yes or no, was he treated that way? So we have to acknowledge that the event did happen and that he was right. treated, he was treated poorly. And so from there, you know, I, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, that's why I felt that the story was more about the story and not about the message. Because okay. he felt okay. re so he felt relatable as a person. Okay, he wasn't likable, but I don't think you were supposed supposed to necessarily like him you were just supposed to see his struggle and what he went through and how he dealt with it okay and i mean i'll freely admit okay. that i'm really not a fan of movies with an unlikable primary protagonist well he wasn't the only I protagonist though his wingman was also a protagonist yeah but, i thought he was very okay. likable no dude was a piece of the dude was a piece of cardboard man he was wooden the whole his whole I don't agree completely. with that either. Yeah, but okay, I, I, I okay. didn't think he was wooden. Wait, but hear me out. Um, I, I actually see exactly what you're saying, Corian, because I don't think that this movie was made to counteract Maverick's reception. I think this movie was made in case of Maverick's reception. I think the message just went subliminal. Like, because this is a very good, very accurate, very well-written message, well-written movie, well-written everything. But that's where it's subliminal, is this was written uncased, and it was written perfect. Like, it turns out they could have always written black actors and black stories as, you know, human, rather yeah. than unnatural and uncanny valley. Like, you know, that new show Velma. But instead... This one was perfect. Yeah, why'd you have to numbers, say that name on our network? Now I gotta go back and delete this stream. Supposed to be done. Well, no, see, that's the best part because that's where the call out really hits. 
is it turns just out try to trick the algorithm into giving, giving us numbers writing bad media yeah. well they've been intentionally writing bad media they've intentionally been doing it wrong and paying the wrong people to write the right stories because they think that's how it works like a lot of people think that because they're on the credits every person who's watched the movie watched the credits despite knowing for a fact they've never watched the credits for any movie they've ever watched they the only reason marvel and even then they look down at their phone until the oh but it's on yeah like exactly. it was never actual credits <laughs> exactly. so so they they think that we're going through these these shows where like there's new black primary actors and those black primary actors are written by black people except nobody went through the credits. We have no idea who they're written by. Mostly yeah. because the industry doesn't give their writers any credit. The industry has intentionally paid very minimal to the writers even though the actors would have nothing to act without the writers. But another topic for another issue and but it all technically is the same issue because it's the Oscars. Paramount is one of the primary financiers of the award show. Mhm. And also the primary financiers of Maverick and Devotion and both studios that made both films and planned all of this in a row because they don't know what they feel. Like Well, okay, if so I they appreciate know what good writing is. I appreciate they a good conspiracy theory. Like we care about who's writing it. I appreciate a good conspiracy theory, as you guys know. I mean, I even have a whole fedora that's wrapped in tinfoil just for Rogue Council, which, by the way, I have no idea what we're doing this week. Um, I'm just going to throw out a couple of counterpoints. First of well, all, Top Gun... Since I would say going rogue. Top, Top Gun... <laughs> Top Gun was actually supposed to come out sooner than it did. I believe it was... Wasn't it supposed to be a 21 release? And then it got... 2019. Oh, geez. So, okay. So it's as far back as 2019. Devotion didn't start filming until 2021. And so, you know, maybe they're using the timing. Maybe they pushed off Maverick to line up with Devotion. That I could probably buy into. But as far as it being an intentional, uh, an intentional scuttling of Top Gun, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just not buying it personally. Uh, Arende writes in, diversity is important. Contrived diversity for diversity's sake to score internet... Dude, I'm in the middle of a fan mail. Um, I'm going to start that over. Arende writes in, diversity is important. Contrived diversity for diversity's sake to score internet brownie points is blah. Yes, I I completely agree. Rami says, oh, fire. Yeah, trying not to burn my home studio down. But anyway. Uh, One sec. Um, So, I just really want to point this out. I'm coming in a little bit delayed. So I, I, when you hear that, but uh, it's for like two seconds before. All right. Good to know. Um, Thank you. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. It just showed up because I'm coming in delay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't mind if you try interrupting me when I'm I just was... spouting BS, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think we've kind of accepted no, as yeah. an unwritten rule. Fan mail is untouchable. Anyway. Well, fan mail is more important than me for sure, because the fans are the reason I'm here. And I know that, and I respect that. So I'd have no problem with you correcting that. I just wanted to also correct that I'm coming in wrong. But on that note, I lost the, the other thought I had. Oh, that's what it was. The The thing about the issue with Arende's message is this isn't even internet brownie points. This is industry circle jerk points. And I, and I don't say that because I, I, I want to be NC-17 or crude, but because that's the only act that makes no sense 
It's the worst version of gratification that exists. And yet for some reason, that's what this group is doing. They are pleasuring each other in the worst possible way. That's all the Oscars have ever been. Making and, and I mean, you're, you're pretty. You're totally but, right. Just, you know, keep your vernacular a little that's more what classy. Been, that, that's what they've been in their industry. But from as an outsider looking in, I used to think of them similar to like going to like a, a baseball party or postseason baseball party where where we'd announce the MVP and, and, and then, yeah, like, sure. Everybody got a small trophy, but everybody knew that the different size in the trophy meant the different contribution contribution to the effort. And, and in a lot of ways, that's kind of how the outs Oscars were to me as an outsider looking in, but instead they ended up being substantially worse. Like now they're yeah. just self gratifying their own guilt. Like, ugh. Uh, that's that's totally been their attitude, though. Rami writes in, fan mail is untouchable because it's PG-13. You know what? We'll just add that to the to the rules. Why not? Uh, no, that's exactly how it is for these people. That's that's what they do. That's why we have the term... Oh, uh, showing off some food there. Nice. Um, that's why we have the term Oscar Baby Yoda bait. pancakes from the whiff. <laughs> oh, yeah, I... I, I kind of have trouble seeing sometimes um yeah that's exactly how the oscars have been though that's all it is they, it's yeah. it's it, and i don't even think it's even a legit competition because all it is it, it's 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 rotten tomatoes audience score is what the oscars should be based on and i mean i haven't given a shit about the oscars since the dark knight got snubbed in 2008 like i'm sorry that movie we watched that earlier or we watched that last year when the Batman came out and uh, it still is one of the most perfect tight films I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so it's like first they snubbed him in 2008 and then 10 years I later, last watched the Oscars. So, so hold on. This is, this is the reason I, I don't watch him anymore. Yeah. And here's the reason why I do not give a shit about the Oscars because it started in 2008. The final nail for me was in 2018 when they so the reason that they didn't give Nolan the nomination in 08 was because they didn't want to nominate a superhero film for best picture what got nominated in 2018 for best picture for no stupid reason aside from the diversity black panther yeah. and that's why i don't care rami writes in the only good things about the dark knight was the joker sequences and maybe two face i don't uh, agree I but okay yeah, I mean, I would argue that the the scenes between uh, Bruce Wayne and Alfred were just as compelling. I mean, you know. It's anyway, like <laughs> anyway, we're trying to talk about devotion. Now we're talking about the Oscars and why devotion's yeah. probably going to win Best Picture. But that's just it. See, I don't. It's if this movie was more like the King's Speech, and the focus was just the what's going on um you know how the speech plays out and all that stuff and it's it's all the technical stuff see this movie is more than just its story it's it's really is a piece of art from the cinematography to the use of practical effects up down left and right and i mean the computer effects were okay but like i said 90 million dollar movie and they decided to push more for authentic real i mean the way they filmed the stuff on the aircraft carrier that was pretty good. I, I've been on a ship. I can tell you firsthand that was 
pretty accurate to what, like, I've, I've, the illusion was there for me. I bought it. I don't know if that was a set piece. I don't know if they actually filmed on an aircraft carrier. Could have been a little bit of both. But the point is, for me, this is not deserving of best picture from just an Oscar standpoint and looking at it from the, the diversity lens. It, they literally gave us a good movie all around. A really good movie that took the time to actually show you the emotion of, okay, you know, they're getting the new planes and they're like, well, these are bigger than a Hellcat and I can't see. And this is the struggle. And like, I felt tense watching them try to land the plane on there. Cause I'm like, well, I don't really know how this story ends. And, and it's just, yeah, everything from there. It, it, it... well, okay. I will say that well, the story I, I that I really real enjoy. Oh, okay. Go for it. Go for it. So one of the things that I really want to get out, the only complaints I have this movie about this movie are the things Corion brought up about its timing and its release. Other than that, this is a seven out of seven, a plus chef's kit. Like if it was purely written for diversity, they wanted to find a true story that incorporated a diverse cast well done you know oh, yeah it. Like, no i, I thought i thought they executed it perfectly start your search into the story because you wrote it right yeah exactly and and so that's why i say the only complaint is that it might have been for that reason but otherwise as far as the rules go you you write and you create and you produce a perfect product you nailed it you did. You, you nailed the product. It, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. I don't like World War II movies or any war movies lately. But I really, really enjoy this movie. It was really fun. Yeah. There you go. Thanks, babe. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, no, it's, and I mean, the fact that it's a Korean War story that, it, yeah, it, about America's Forgotten War, and like I said, it, it was, yes, we can look at it and roll our eyes at the timing of it, and, and I get what you guys are saying, and I'm not necessarily here to say that you're wrong. Forgotten. It's, it's, yeah, gee, I wonder why. It, but that's just it. This movie really delivered, too, on a lot of the heroic moments, but it also it did a tremendous job of capturing grief. Like, usually, like, I was very impressed that they actually showed the moment when he gets back to the base camp and he's just lost. Because I've been, I've been him. I've been that guy in that position. And I've had to be that person to deliver the bad news. And so I just was like, this is capturing it perfectly because he, it's like you you don't know what to do in that moment, but you have to. You have to continue on. And the rest of the world doesn't stop when you're grieving. And so you've got to figure out how to pick yourself up and keep going. And that's what I felt that it did a very good job so of displaying. There are two pieces, though, that I do really like. And one of them is um, we get a lot of the story of Jesse's uh, Jesse's wife. And I really did like those scenes with her in it. I feel like if anyone had solid acting chops in this movie, it was definitely her. That's at least my opinion. Um, I also felt that 
the way they dealt with when they first lose the pilot, or they lose a pilot in the squadron well before uh, war is declared. I felt like the reaction from the, the CO that had to deliver the news about what was going on was absolutely genuine. That felt good. The problem is these two stories are ancillary to the primary story that's going on. So I can definitely find subplots that I dig and that I was down with and that I thought were good. Um, but the main plot is what lost me. So, well, yeah. so Corian, you said one of the main issues you have is, is, is not liking a protagonist who's yeah, so unlikable I'll, or, I'll, I'll or rough. An, and I, I think I'll give you an example of this. I, I think that's what made the, the actor uh, that played the main pilot. I can't remember his name. But he played Jesse, and he, the amount of black people that I've met that take months and years to be softer or as soft as Jesse was to the other people that he knew had accepted him, like it, it, it makes me sick because that's. And we're left that in suspense. Kids can grow up out. where they're so hardened and mistreated that they can continue to not trust people that literally signed the same oath that they signed. That literally, like, they can't even trust that the people in charge of them aren't racist. They have to hope, and that's it. They like hope. That's so gross. And that ties in perfectly to my comments about 1923 episode four, which I missed, which I, I I'll give you a chance after we're so done with wrong. this segment. Episode four was the perfect wrap up. Yeah, I, I, I understand your feelings and I, I that's fine. The but first four episodes also, also were a uh, previously on. A okay, we're still talking before. about devotion right now. We'll, and and we'll... I think they executed it very well. Well, we'll give you regard, we'll give you the last ten minutes to talk about nineteen. Final episode, there was the line about hope being a cancer. There he goes. The pilot really. Oh no! Really enunciated with. Yeah. All right. So I don't know what's going on with his connection, but he's stuck on. Um, yeah. Stuck on blist face. Uh, anyway, that was Jonathan Majors who played yeah. Jesse, um, and and then yeah, Glenn Powell as as Tom Hudner, which. Um, you know, I, I think I can understand what you're saying, Corion, that he seemed like a plank of wood, but the thing is there's there's a lot of there's a lot of people that can be like that. And I know especially when I was in okay. the CG, I mean that was definitely kind of my go to uh attitude was you know, I just want to get my job done and go home. So but the fact is, you know, his his emotions obviously came out in the end. Because, you know, his wingman died and he couldn't do yeah. anything. And he, he did everything he could, but it wasn't enough. Yeah, and I mean, what? I was going to say, like, yeah, when you get a dead stick event in, on your plane, you're kind of screwed. Right. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, and if you're the only person in the plane, there's literally nothing anyone can do for you other than watch you go down in a blaze of glory, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, but I hear you. I get it. You kind of like the subplots better. I'm. I mean, I hope it wasn't a waste of your time. I, I no, not at okay, all. Good. I 
I, I feel like, look, this movie personifies... Okay, so one of the things that I, I get railed on constantly about having a problem with is I really despise Bioshock Infinite. Okay? I know a lot of people like it. I know a lot of people think it's an amazing thing. But the protagonist does nothing for me. In fact, it really makes me want to stab the protagonist. And when you're playing as the protagonist and the only thing you want him to do is jump off the side of the flying structure and you're begging him to do it, um, you know, it's not a good it's not a good feeling, right, to be playing through it. That's there were notes of that here for me on the main on Jesse's character. Now, I do think it's an important story to tell. I do think that this is an an individual that should be covered better in history books, especially given how poor notice the Korean War gets in most American history books. You know, we have an opportunity. There are several stories like Jesse's story that probably should be taught more, right? You know, there are a lot of Korean War heroes that really deserve to get better credit than they've ever got. And, you know, hopefully one day they will. But, you know, I feel like it's important to give the counterpoint to this as well, right? And, you know, you wouldn't have me around if I didn't uh, if I didn't agree with you on everything, right? So, uh, if I agree with you you, on Yeah, it would just be well, the P.D. York brothers and I, they all agree with me. And uh, I just, yeah. I, for some reason, don't think that would be as much fun to do. Um, Rami, however, says I also dislike Bioshock, well, and so I don't it sounds like she fans. agrees with you. Hey, all right. And, and I don't want any of the audience and, and future listeners to think that, like, Corian's being contrarian for contrarian's no. sake. Like, he, these are his opinions, and we yeah. welcome them. And, and, and oh, yeah. not only that, if you notice, none of them were actually negative about the writing or the filmography or the film itself. It was just about a lot of the timing and character. Yeah. Like, humans. Like, like he he's saying he wouldn't drink with this guy because he kind of... And that's not what, like, that's what we're supposed to decide as people is who do we want to drink with? Who do we want to be around? Yeah. That's the literal, like, one thing about who we are as people. So, like, that's how, to me, like, that speaks to how good this movie was. Was that, like, okay. it wasn't a waste of time in any way, shape, or form. But there were some negative background things. And there were some things people aren't going to like about the character. And that's what you get when you get to the Ryder Brothers, like... If it's good, we're going to make sure you know it's good. Yeah. At least I am. I mean, but, of uh, course, it's going to be... At the very least, we're honest, right? So, Well, and it's also going to be hard mm. to restore respect into discourse if there's no countering and opposing discourse. Um, so, yeah. Uh, H. Marie, why don't you share your thoughts on devotion since uh, since you have been waiting patiently to, to share? Yeah. So... Coming from someone who's not into the whole political scene, not into any of that wokeness as much as I try to stay away from it, it still seeps in. I don't see any of it in this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I love historical movies. I'm a huge history fan. And being able to see the Forgotten War, essentially, from a very particular angle that me may not have gotten to see if someone hadn't decided to tell the story. Um, the acting was good. The writing was good. The fact that they only did all of this on a 90 million budget was phenomenal uh it just the practical effects like parker said is just oh i loved it i was in awe the entire time you can ask him 
I kept getting all excited. Th this was squealing. Yeah, yeah, this was basically what I wanted with Dunkirk. I mean, it was two hours of planes flying around, and and that's that's what we got. We got planes. We got scenes, scene escapes. We got shooting. We got. Regardless of whether or not you're going to this movie for the historical context or, you know, it even works as a mindless popcorn flick in a lot of ways. I mean, it'll be educational and you'll probably feel an emotion or two in the process, but it it's really everything that I would want in a movie like this. Because it's got good action, but then it's also got great story and it's got a lot of heart. I, that, that's why I'm giving this, yeah, it's this solid seven movie easily for me. So, all right. Any final thoughts on devotion before we get ready to shift back to Deep Space Nine? Own once, own twice. Nah, let's go Deep Space. Okay. Well, I'm also setting up the frame. Um. All right. So, if you've been following this show, you know that we started a watch through of Deep Space Nine. This week's homework was to finish up the first sort of mini series arc. Um, with episodes two and three, and that was The Circle and The Siege. Um, does anyone want to cover play-by-play -play for this one, or should I do it? Go for it, man. All right. Um, why don't you give some thoughts while I pull that up? All right. So, you know, to, to kind of give less of a play-by-play -play, more of a general overview, political... The political situation on Bajor has become more or less untenable. Um, the Federation is being asked to to leave due to a coup, and we and Cisco and his crew have figured out that this whole coup is actually backed by the Cardassians. So, with that information in hand, they're trying to figure out how to last long enough on the station, cause enough chaos there to be able to allow for Kira and Dax to get that information into the hands of the ministers that can deal with this and resolve the issue. We get some fabulous moments for each of the characters dealing with situations that they're really not familiar with. And uh, yeah, Petey, go for it. All right, so... Minister Jaro has Kira replaced by Lee Nollis in security, and is surprised Sisko is not pleased by this. He tells Sisko the main reason for putting the war hero on the station is the escalating unrest on Bajor. While Kira's friends from the station say goodbye, she gets a sudden visit from Vedic Barail, who invites her to the Vedic Monastery, which she accepts. Soon after her arrival at the monastery, Kira finds life there is not for her and gets restless. Ryle then shows her the monastery possesses one of the orbs of the prophets. Meanwhile, Quark has some important information for Odo. He has heard the Krisari, normally biotanical DNA traders, have been, or excuse me, botanical DNA traders, have been supplying weapons to the Circle. And that's our synopsis for the Circle. Yeah. So, to me, the best part of this episode really has to do with the budding relationship between Kira and Barile, which I feel like is a worthwhile plot arc to look at. 
Beryl is the perfect counterpoint to Kira in a lot of ways. Where she is restless and constantly looks like a caged tiger ready to spring out at any moment. He's calm and chill and relaxed and tries to be friendly and kind to anyone he runs into. And it's just this, he represents the, the peaceful spiritual side of Bajor. Whereas Kira's kind of that, that fiery, passionate side of Bajor that we love as well. And seeing them come together is fantastic because it encapsul encapsulates what we want to see versus what's actually happening on Bajor, which is the inverse of this. When those two sides, the spiritual and that passionate side, just are completely at odds. So in a lot of ways, their, their budding relationship is a microcosm for the political unrest that we're seeing on screen. Which I thought was fascinating. On top of that, this is one of the first times where we see uh, Odo and Quark's kind of frenemy relationship in a lot of ways. Because, you know, Quark is trying his best to get information that really needs to get put in place into the right hands. But he doesn't want to be seen doing it. Right? Because if he's seen just giving the information away, you know, the rest of the criminals aren't exactly going to trust him. His people aren't going to trust him anymore. So, well, Quark ain't no narc. That's it. Some things need to be reported. Exactly. Right? And that's that's part of the the best part of it is, you know, Quark is a little bit of a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy, right? You know, the, yeah. It, go for it. it. It's really funny, but Quark is the most metal of all Star Trek characters. Like most metal musicians are characterized by their dissidents as these rambunctious evil doers of satan worshipers but in reality like 80 percent of screamo is basically christian rock like it's surprisingly disappointing how much of them are like pg and pg 13 you'd think it's all death metal but it's not and that i think is quark is like according to odo all of Quark's race are punk metal, like degenerates. And then Quark's like, yeah, but also like, I respect your rules for the most part. The ones that make sense. I don't want any freaking coups. Like you guys have made He's got to use them. He's got to use them to his advantage it. to protect himself sometimes too. Yep. So, so yeah, Rami writes in people talk about TNG, like Stuart and others acting was too good for the silly scripts. And I'm over here thinking Terry Farrell is too hot to be on TV. Well, I think H Marie is too hot for TV. That's why she's on YouTube. Same with you, Corion. Um, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, I absolutely, uh, I think that, that Odo and Quark's relationship is probably one of the best. It, it just, I mean, not just in Star Trek, but really, it's a special kind of character-driven love-hate. Mostly hate to start. Maybe mostly hate all the time. That, it, it's just, it's so special to see that chemistry on, on screen. Um, so yeah, I... I <laughs> 
I forgot how it, it really surprises me. It really amazes me as how much you forget the first couple seasons of DS9 are because you just you get so lost in in what's to come and you know what's coming. But it's like I always forget that they really did a good job of establishing all of this. Like we get to finally see the beginning of O'Brien and Bashir no longer hating each other. Uh, granted, that's the next episode, which I'll probably read here shortly. But there's there's so much jumping on what jumping on fan mail response real quick absolutely nothing wrong with christian rock he's clearly never heard it sorry rami wrote in absolutely nothing wrong with christian rock he's clearly never heard it agree about h marie like death metal blessed by a broken heart owned them don't know what you mean by owned them but i i've heard all the christian rock um, I grew up in it. I say that I was disappointed because all the Christians told me death metal is where you go to learn about Satan. Death metal is where you go to die. To death metal and found more about Christian. Well, I found more Christians in death metal than I did in church. So to me, that was the annoying part was like, I want to learn what other people think. I want to learn how other people live because I don't believe anybody deserves to be put to the death by fire i think that's really like yeah a huge it's it's like fatal flaw of christianity it's like when the preacher and it's so, like when the preacher says you know don't do sex because it's bad and then you could have sworn that later that night you saw him coming out of the whorehouse well and not only that it's like when you say jesus died at the cross and that was such a horrible thing to do to another human being well let's burn the people we don't like because we can't figure out how to convince them we're right so burn them because like that's the most logical you know illogical decision and someone say fire like i i do uh rami using clinical definitions according to christianity is not breaking pg-13 because as we all know the code is written to the bible it's actually kind of true, unfortunately. Same with unfor- comic books. Yeah, yeah we're not exactly time. okay. We can so, mention topics so without PG-13 going into graphic detail. That still technically counts as PG thirteen. But anyway, yeah, no, I, it's kind of like saying they had sex. Like they, you can say that in PG thirteen. You can imply it in PG thirteen movies. Just don't dog. show the actual nudity, even though that you know. Well, but also, PG-13, you know, you show decapitations because that's even cool. Show yeah. everything except nipple or genitalia like that is nice the way these pg-13 movies go i remember pg-13 being like you can say one crap and then it got to like two s words and and one f word and almost all the titty <laughs> well, like, guys, what happened to standards guys, i do understand point. At some point, you guys have to see the movie. This film is not yet rated. It's a documentary it's about a... the MPAA worth checking out. Well, maybe that's something we yeah. should cover on this show. It's yeah. Bizarre. I mean, we'll I've talk about it afterwards. I love it. And that's what I'm saying. Like, all this is like, I really do think that, like, there's this idea where like the corporate elite enforced the standards because that's how they became corporate elite. But I've literally in my lifetime witnessed the standards continuously loosen as if they never really mattered in the first place. 
Yeah. Like, Bra- that's not standards. That's rules for thee and not for me. Okay. It's tyranny. So, we'll all right. So, Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get back to Deep Space Nine here in a second because uh, just read this last comment. Rami writes in, oh my God, sex now. The Ryder Brothers is the devil. Yes, I agree, because we believe in a free exchange of ideas, challenging the status quo and questioning all the rules, which, uh, you know, some churches probably well, would label that satanic, but I don't care. Honestly, I would just say we have a woman on this show. Oh, my God, you're right. Shit. We've already we've already you know, set course for the river sticks. And I mean, I'm just sitting here, you know, weighing about as much as a duck. So, like. We and no one gives too. a funny way. Deep Space Nine. Uh, I'm just going to read this the siege. And because... no one gives a duck. There you go. And now it's time to pluck the plot for the siege. There we go. Storyline. Admiral Chakotay, no relation, has told Cisco he can't get involved in an internal Bajoran conflict and must evacuate the station. But Cisco and this is my little ad-lib, firing up the wheels of bureaucracy, has no intentions of leaving. He's come to care about what happens to the Bajorans. Oh, he has feelings, idiot. And tries to muster support from the crew of the station. They'll try to delay the takeover as long as possible and set up a resistance until the Cardassian involvement is revealed. As there's still no communications possible to Bajor, Kira sees no other alternative than to bring the evidence of the Chamber of Ministers, but all the runabouts are in use for the evacuation. Lee Nallis thinks there might still be raiders intact on the Lunar 5 base, and Kira and Dax take a look. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty pretty awesome. Um, It looks like there's some fan mail to we catch up on. We might have another discussion. Huh? I, I want to jump right into it because I think it's hilarious. Read the fan awesome. mail and go Perfect. for it. Uh, Rami writes in about ratings, though. There's a movie called Paint Drying 2016. IMDb's trivia explains everything. Created by director Charlie Shackleton to force the British Board of Class- Film Classification to watch 10 hours of paint drying to protest the practice of British censors. Movie is literally 10 hours of paint drying. I think that is the perfect definition of what I mean. And this is going to be my two swear words. We're, we're two hours in. Word. When shit gets shitty, you get shittier. Like Shit's allowed. When the censorship, when the censorship shows up, give them nothing to censor but so much to check if it needs to be censored. Like, let's make them bored of their jobs before they even get to the good part. Because that's how we win. That's how all the punks kept being punks and getting through high school and everybody's favorite person. It's not because they were degenerates breaking all the laws and getting away with it. It's because they were breaking the laws that don't matter. And showing you how little they mattered. And allowing you to be free. And I think that's exactly what Rami just brought up when she said paint drying. Like, make the rules not matter because you made somebody enforce something so stupid. Take the bureaucracy and throw it back in their face. Which is essentially what Cisco does in his efforts to delay the evacuation. Is he basically makes them... Yes, 
make sure you fill out every single standard form required to make sure that the evacuation goes smoothly. It's basically what he does to make sure that it slows it down and, of course, gives gives them time to to get the things that they need to be done. It, it's malicious compliance is what it is, and it's it's always the best when you can find a way to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I really like about... Okay, the way- I didn't know that there was a term for it. Malicious compliance? Yes, that that is the new upgrade of peaceful protest. Malicious compliance. That's yep. the number that actually results in change. You want me to comply? I'm going to comply so well you hate that you enforce this stupid rule. That actually happens in corporate jobs. Um, oh, yeah. The last couple of years, people have actually been following the rules to AT because they are tired of all of the absolute BS that has been going on. And yeah. I absolutely love it. Yeah, malicious compliance is like a staple of the IT world. It's how we show guys who have no computer experience why doing the thing the way they want to do it is the stupidest possible way we could be doing it. Man, I'm, I love working for small businesses. I don't deal with any of that shit anymore. Um, Arende says, you know the weird thing? Paint drying under a microscope is fascinating. Not for 10 hours, but still. Everything can be interesting from the correct point of view. Yeah, just like True. DS9. Um, <laughs> Bro, I bet you a 10-hour microscopic view of paint drying as a wallpaper would be the bomb.com to some lo-fi music. <laughs> All right, so yeah, as you get high on the fumes, um, go ahead, Corio. I was going to say, uh, Rahimi uh, adds in pursuant to paragraph one thousand two hundred and ninety. I formally request third-party arbitration of our dispute in what is arguably one of the best Picard scenes in Next Generation. Yeah, yeah. See, this is a moment. This little arc is where we finally get to see Cisco draw his some of his influence from Picard, but then he kind of starts to twist it into his own. Uh, I mean, the tactic to evacuate into the bowels of Deep Space Nine was genius, and the, and all the little traps that O'Brien set up in the computer system for them to lose control of the station when they tried to take control. Also, freaking genius. And that's really why this is where DS9 starts to shine is because they didn't really get what I think I liked about it was they didn't get too into the techno babble to make it believable. It's very much a yeah, we're just going to set it up for sabotage and we're going to hide out and we're going to let them come in and we're just going to try and delay them until uh you know Kira and Dax can succeed in getting the proof before the council and hopefully save the day. Um I also like the whole thing with the with the Bajoran interceptor and you know having to fix it with the sonic screwdriver and everyone you know Dax is like this is bullshit and Kira's like you're just whining it's fine <laughs> the ship works who cares if it doesn't who cares if it barely flies I think it, that's it actually really one of the funniest controlled fall and, and all right we're starting everyone's connection starting to cut out Corey, are you still with us the- Canadian government doesn't yeah, want here. us talking about DS9. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Sorry, I, I think the, the comment about how they they plotted to give the other team time, if that's not the definition of teamwork, 
as far as like a leader is concerned, sometimes the best you can do is be so arbitrary and so judicial in your communication with higher management or other management or third-party client management that you allow your time, your team, the time they need to do the actual work. And, and, and I hate that I'm just now seeing it now. Cause like I've drawn so much on literary inspiration for how I treat my superior officers for how I treat work in the corporate America. And it took me until episode 45 of the Ryder brothers to finally watch episode two and three of season two of deep space nine, which was like star Trek as a whole is just one of my favorite versions of the military because it takes so much good from the military uniformity, treat others as you want to be treated, respect leadership because leadership went through this before you ever even were born in some cases. Like those are the things that we want to believe about the military and Star Trek nails them, but also shows how that works in real life, how you use those rules to your advantage, how that experience plays and how the managerial experience is just as important as the on the ground grunt experience because as a manager you need to know how to push other people that are wrong away without getting yourself fired or you know killed and, I, and that's what deep space nine does so efficiently and it's so frustrating that like more people don't lord this as the perfect example of how to lead a team i i also want to point out the bajoran commander who came on the station and the little political puke that was the second off uh, second idiot in this team because we had a guy who clearly understood what was going on here general he Krim. literally yeah crim had literally used these style tactics against the Cardassians for years. And then you had somebody who grew up hearing the stories of these tactics for years and now thought, oh, well, I'll just go ahead and deal with this problem, you know, by excessive force because that'll get the problem solved. And the other guy sitting there watching him do this going, you are literally playing right into his hands because this is exactly what we did to the Cardassians. You are giving him the result we got with the Cardassians. Way to go. And it was perfect seeing it play out because you saw a commander literally sitting there going, I remember these tactics. I used these tactics. I know exactly what's going through his mind because it's a, through Cisco's mind because it's the same thing that would have been going through my mind. I am doing everything I can to make this the most painful and annoying process to try to take this station as I possibly can. So I'm not going to expose my guys. I'm not going to do anything that's going to get me in trouble, but you damn well better believe I'm going to make life miserable trying to get control of this station, get everything organized. And, you know, he played it exactly right. That's exactly how it should be done. And the fact that the other commander saw what was going on but because the idiots under his command would not listen to him, couldn't implement solutions to solve the problem, was just textbook perfect. Yeah. H. Murray, what were your thoughts with uh, with the... And I mean, we could really talk about the entire episode arc. It doesn't right, have to be exclusive right, to two and right three. Before, 
right before that. Oh, go ahead. Rami writes in, Unfortunately, she is currently in her hibernation cycle, but she'll awaken in two minutes when P.D. York asks her opinion on the episode, and then we'll get this matter settled. And yes, that's how it works, but that's not how it's enforced. Uh, that's how we show respect to somebody who's working on their stage presence. No, she's poking we fun at me. We want to call them to the stage at their will. Okay, I just want to make sure it's known to the public. Oh, yeah, no, we're, we're good. Um, no, I actually really liked this episode. Um, it was definitely interesting seeing how Cisco could direct the three different teams all at the same time, yet they could all move on their own volition as well if they needed to. And I forgot that Odo can actually phase into walls, not only just, you know, shapeshift, he can actually just phase and hang out. It threw me off for a minute. I think that was supposed to be him, like, he was imitating a piece of the wall, but then, you know, he just kind of formed for that. I don't know. I, I This is still kind of in the early stages when they're just trying to figure out what Odo's exact limitations are. So, I, well, I don't oh, know. They, if they, he, if they he described his... it early on in season one. No, wait. They, they described it in season one. It's a It's basically like he's a puddle on the wall. So you're going to see through the puddle to the wall. Well, the thing is, he doesn't have... And, he can, he can increase... Like it. He, based on the visuals, he can increase and decrease his mass at any time. So that well, tells no, me that the, he could... He actually could... Episode. Well, yeah, but he could actually phase it's through the, the wall theoretically. Where he describes falling into a puddle. That's true. Yeah, he, he can go completely... I think he... I want to say in that episode, he said he could go gaseous, but like plasmic rather than completely gaseous. Well, that's what I'm saying. I, th I wonder if he could actually squeeze himself to the subatomic level and literally pass through stuff. Yeah, way. but uh, they did set it up before. It was I mean, set up in season one. I I'm very proud of you for remembering that fact, by the way. I'm, I'm glad you're actually paying attention and enjoying this show. I mean, technically, even if he was just getting down to the cellular level where he was passing through, like, a defect in the wall one cell at a time, that would still probably be functionally the same effect. Well, yeah. uh, if he's going plasmic, all he has to have control over is his radiation level so as to show, like, light passes through him differently. So if he has so much control over the version of plasma that he is, he could theoretically be less than water, but more than air. And yeah. it would look exactly like he was in the wall without ever separating from himself. Arende writes in, he can control his mass by pushing or pulling it to and from a subspace pocket. Think portable hole from D&D. &D. I, I, I mean... That would be dope if that was canon. I think it has a lot to do more with the writers going, it's space magic, I ain't got to explain shit. But, um... <laughs> oh, that's like, you know, the explanation for all of New Trek I now. feel like, yeah, if right. anything, it's hive mind at the cellular level. Yeah. That's the easiest way to explain it. It's like he has no complete and total control of his cells and their formations, including stretching them out so far they appear as a gas, but they're just wet air like humidity. Yeah, it, it's 
I mean, I am sure some some nerd is going to write a scientific paper on the capabilities of Odo as a species. And it'll be a fascinating read right on par with the um, uh, the 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 famous paper uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Tissue Paper. But, <laughs> you know, for for flunk, functional plot use, I mean, Odo was used perfectly in, in the siege as well. And then, of course, Kurtzman well, and, will ignore the it. And then when, he, that paper. When, when Kurtzman reboots DS9, Odo's just going to be a coffee mug of tears the whole time because that's, you know. Right. He's going to be a glorified mimic chest from Bloodborne. No, they're like, going to make him female. At this point, female mimic chest, fair enough. No, but they'll I make think, him swap between worse... male and female at like a drop of a hat. Yeah, and they'll pretend like, you know, regular, honest, in order of lore Star Trek didn't literally have a transgender surgery across series. But, you know, we'll let them learn. And, but more to the point of like there's nothing to the learn that want to I, take it. i'm sorry i'm sorry but there, i no, no, you got me on a thing no, now there is something to learn there's something to learn where they're like these people think they're doing the right thing because they think nobody before them had the audacity to do it except they're doing it with the very media that was the only media that had the audacity to do it star trek was the only one willing to talk politics at the communal level things like transgenderism things like gay and straight things like homo and heterosexuality like star you trek just said the same went thing there. twice they even went there with black people when nobody else did i did i got in a tangent i was trying to pull myself back but but star trek went there when nobody else ever would so much so that the late great lieutenant ahora original was one of the first black TV actresses respected as a co-host. And that's what Kurtzman's disrespecting. He he thinks he's coming in, and he thinks he's revolutionizing the industry, except he's revolutionizing the product that made it okay for him to revolutionize the industry. Yeah. The, the one product that was revolutionary is the one he thinks needs the most changing, and that's what needs to be learned. He is working because Star Trek worked. His goals, his dreams, his woke agenda only exists because Star Trek did it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, real quick, Rami writes in with some trivia. DS9 Bible says changelings can extend themselves only to limit of their ex- existing mass. He could be as thin as paper, but will be completely flat. He can also become extremely dense and heavy. Moving between particles in a wall would require some type of hole and would take a very long time to complete if it were too small. This was looked up when STO was writing for the Victory is Life expansion. And then she says, CBS actually criticized this giant fist-punching effect that was in the game already. Oh, and so that's a follow-up for what we actually got in the final product. Arende, oh. I was just going to take care of Arende real quick, and then you can respond. Arende says, I think this way of explaining his mass change is either for the scriptwriter's notes or from the novelizations. I'm pretty sure it's canon. The scientist who raised him concerning 
or commit or commented of Odo being afraid if doing this for fear of losing his mass to the pocket dimension. So that could easily be beta canon Arendi. I, I wouldn't disagree with it. Um, and I mean, the, the problem, okay, we're going to get into, a, we're going to get into a little bit of the weeds here if we get too deep into it. But the, the basic problem is Odo being able to convert himself into a data pad or a backpack at one point and then be a full regular weight human at another, like humanoid at another point in time. Or, for example, being a bird that can fly given his mass. Or a mouse. Yeah, or a mouse or whatever, right? Like, the the it would be the heaviest bloody mouse ever to exist, which would be cool, but still a heavy mouse. So, I mean... I, I would only hmm. posit compression algorithm at the biological level. Yeah, but, I mean, mass... You still can't conserve mass that way, right? Like, mass is mass. So, no, but that's what I'm saying is it compression algorithm. Y'all need better internet providers. <laughs> this show is failing because of your ASP suck. We're going nowhere, man. We're just spinning yeah. our wheels in the digital dirt. Yeah, but man, like, sorry about that. The idea is, um, I think that for plot reasons, it's fantastic for him to be able to take whatever shape he needs to take. And I think that's dope. I mean, if you really wanted well, to go into I think the... with the... To oh. jump into the compression algorithm thing real quick, I think if he also is technically the size of air outside of the new mass that's, that he is... That's what I was going to say. Th it works. That's why I say I, I think the compression algorithm just hasn't been solved, but is theoretically plausible. Yeah. Uh, what I was actually going to say is I think if he converted into a mouse and then the additional mass was like a cloud of air around him that was following the mouse around, that totally works. Which if we know anything about ghost hunting, why does it get colder when a ghost is present? If not, they are a compression algorithm of spirit. Okay. So yeah, that's, uh, you know, Getting back to the siege, though, the actual storyline. Look, this is a fantastic storyline, and it definitely feels like, from the Cardassian perspective, this is 100% like a Cold War kind of tactic that we actually saw in history where, well, you know, we've got a dictator in place we don't like. Let's replace him with a dictator we do like. Right? And we blatantly see the Cardassians attempting to set this up, right? They figured it'd be a lot easier to get you know, Bajor back if the Federation is out of the way. And what better way to do that than to back a coup that's anti-alien, right? This was a fantastic attempted play by them. And, you know, it really could have worked if it wasn't for Cisco being Cisco and being like, the hell you're going to steal my station, right? You know, I mean... Uh, well, and that's just... This, this is what the final cherry on top with General Krim is is the fact that once he's informed that Cisco didn't leave, he all of a sudden has the utmost respect for his adversary because he got outmaneuvered, but he got outmaneuvered in the way that he would have outmaneuvered himself. And that's why he he has that grin and that smirk like, "Hell yeah, you beat me. I'm impressed. You you did a good job and you did it mostly non-violently too." Like yeah. that's 
that's good writing. Like, he's not... He's not egotistical, unlike the guy right beneath him who's going above his head and trying to get a promotion. He he knows war, he knows tactics, and he knows that if you really want to beat your opponent, you have to recognize that they are probably better than you. And that's what he knew going into this, but his subordinates didn't quite catch on, and so, of course, that's why things ultimately play out the way that they do. And and that's why this, this episode is so good, because it, it shows... It shows how adults typically do warfare, and and there's it shows what adults are, when adults are trying to do warfare like the adult way, and then you have the little kid who's just throwing a wrench in the con in the thing like, oh, I'm gonna go tell I'm gonna go tell Big Boss Man, hey Big Boss Man, we have the station, and then he's like, no, we don't, and he's like, well, why do you not think that? And he goes, because I know these tactics. These guys are not giving up that easily, and and you know he just goes on even, from there. Even more than that. I, I think your point about the ego is kind of flawed only because there was a point when the, the head commander was the leader similar to his second idiot, right? And in that essence, he had to learn how to be smarter like this. Like one of the, the, the fatal flaws of the military is there is no way to get rid of ego except through suffering like drug usage is illegal so you can't find a way out of your ego except through learning how to get out of it yeah but alcohol you essence, get a you get a you get your own keg every day and and that's the problem that i think with your argument is it wasn't his ego that would have prevented him from realizing who he was fighting it was his ego that told him oh you're fighting you nice ah he won well i would have won too so i like that that's actually and, really and, good and, and that's the smirk yeah because he's impressed he's like i got outmaneuvered by someone who basically did what i would do but he also has respect for cisco because he didn't abandon his post he was like, "No, you you stood your ground and you beat me at my own game, and and I'm I I hope we have a better working relationship from there." Which I don't. Sadly, I don't think General Krim shows up because I think they basically give him that one offline of, "Oh yeah, he's you know going to be forced to resign." So, which is too bad. Which is a shame. But I would have no, actually liked no, to I have think seen that's even better with him. I think it's honestly even better because that goes to speak to how much that smirk was. Like, oh, you just cost me my job. Oh, my career's over. Yeah. But this is okay. exactly how I wanted it to end. <laughs> this is well, no. If anything, it's like I lost in the only way that I would consider a justifiable firing. And that's like, like think about it. Name one time where you would be like, ah, I deserve to be fired. And for the fact that like that smirk came with that weight, came with that like subordinate trying to help him. Like, he could have literally just blamed it all on the subordinate. Like, no, he kept sabotaging my attempts. But instead, he was gone afterwards. So whether or not, like, you know, it's because the actor decided not to, re, you know, play the character or they ever cared to bring the character back or ever thought to, they exited him just honorably, wholly honorably. He come back at any and they've been like, yeah, why weren't you fired? And he could have explained or could have glossed over it like, oh, I guess you just thought you were going to get fired, but, you know, you were able to talk your way out of it, and that makes sense, because there was an explanation, and 
you're smart enough to know how to show that like literally every step you chose got floundered because like that's the step you would have made and if anybody wants to fight you it's like okay but you're not a four-star general like i am so you couldn't have outsmarted me because you couldn't have even outsmarted me to get to this position you know and and so like that's what i mean is like they star trek took the the time to respect respect its exits just in case well you say that and then they tie up the lee nalis loose end in like kind of a what i would say a fairly lazy way although it did give me a good idea for a meme I should have should have screenshotted that with the dialogue because I was just gonna post when you got mountains of debt and tons of bills to pay, but then you die, Ugh, off the hook. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> okay. Morbid. I, I will say part of this though. Super uh, messed up, but the tagline for that is suicide. Uh, <laughs> no, he didn't well, get suicide. He got murdered. There's a difference. For the meme. Yeah. But um, one of the things I will point out, though, we are reading a whole lot into this commander, okay? And I think it speaks to the writer's determination of character development that we got what is effectively a one-off bad guy, but we're able to read this deeply into that character. Like, props to the writing crew on that. An actoral cameo. Yeah. This character was not only supposed to be one-off in terms of writing, just in case this actor didn't want to show up, but the actor came in and played that character just in case they'd never be invited back. Yeah, even the the politician involved in it, um, Frank uh, Lozanga, I think it is, um, the, the, the Bajoran politician who tries to pull off this coup. I mean, the dude had character development even in the three episodes that we only run into him right he had a plot arc we knew things about him right he wasn't just generic bad guy of the week right that says something right it says it speaks to the quality of the writing it speaks to the quality of the 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 actors that they were bringing in to deal with this writing like guys if you weren't sold on Deep Space Nine yet, you're missing out here. Yeah, and it only gets better from from here. I mean, it only gets better from each episode of season one, except for Run Along Home. And it's it really this really just shows why the show is good because we get a little bit of a tease of the bigger arcs that we're gonna get, you know, later on, or maybe not get. Ah, everyone knows. DS9 is a hybrid show at this point. Um, and so, and this is also why DS9 works for me is because we get to, we get to see early on this, this hybrid serialized, but also, you know, next week we've got bad guy of the week. Um, actually one of the more talked about episodes. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, it, it, you're right, Corion. I agree with everything you said. It, it, it shows the depth of the writing and the fact that we can pick out a one-off character like this and go, yeah, this is what a really well-written adversary, what a really well-written bad guy potentially looks like. So, um, H. Marie, looks like you have a thought with uh, <laughs> with what Odo did to, to Quark during this episode. Um, 
did did you want to share your uh, your thoughts on that one? I Sorry, forgot I, I get used to unmuting the button. Um, uh, mute. <laughs> Just like that. Anyway, um, no, uh, Parker and I were watching the episode and he just, he just off- offhandedly makes a comment of, uh, Odo essentially conscripted Quark into helping him. Um, he essentially just, he, he didn't really give him an, any other option other than to help him or he, I believe, was go to jail? I'm not sure. Yeah, but it just it just cracks me up for the fact that he's like, you know, well, I guess if I can't fight you, I guess I'll make you join me. Yep. I mean, look, it, you know, making him a deputy, I mean, look, in terms of early Deep Space Nine, this is the biggest crisis they had run into. So, I think no, actually, this is the second desperate. time. They're Isn't this the second time Odo deputized Quark? I think this is the first. I want to say it was on the 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 episode you guys hated. Um, what run along when home? they're playing the game? Yeah, no. I want to say he was deputized in that, or it, it was in that. Is either we discussed it the week before? Or the episode after. I can't because we do two episodes sometimes or we do one episode. Can't remember exactly. But I want to say Quark has never actually had a problem with being deputized. He just publicly hates it. I want to say it's, this is the second time. I do not have the sufficient knowledge at this time to confirm or deny. Oh. I looked it up. Um, no, the the episode that you're talking about is the one that we watched before this, but it was at the very beginning of the episode. So I think it's well, you know how they get—they take forever and ever and ever. But I looked yep. it up, and that is the, that is the first episode. Word, I hear. You. Cool. Yeah, no, it's 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 just funny the way Odo casually goes. Uh, well, you can either be a deputy or you can go to jail, and I'm like, <laughs> you just conscripted Quark. Oh man, that's terrible. Um, so yeah, yeah, great, great sequence of episodes and, uh, yeah, there's, there's plenty more to go, but does anybody else have anything left on this? And then we'll let John, since, uh, he sadly missed us last week due to the virus of unspecified origin. Anyone have any last thoughts for these DS9 episodes? Well, they're only getting better. And also I'm getting real real irritated with your initial comments about wait till season three that's when you'll be happy oh well, just I'll wait till season three time. that's when you'll be oh, no, extra happy. happy the whole thing yeah exactly yeah. That, that that's fine you, you can say it ramps up in season three but i've been enjoying this ride every single episode well all awesome. i'm gonna say is this when season three starts they take the dial and set it to 11 and it doesn't stop until season seven, or I mean, I'm, eight. I'm going to return to my earlier comments. Like I've always grown up with living at eleven. I like <laughs> punk. I like rock. I like metal. So like, I already like this show at eleven. Like it's been eleven the whole time. Especially when you compare it to TNG. Especially when you care, compare it to the original. Like it, the thing that Deep Space Nine does is exactly what I said earlier. Is they knew their privilege 
and they used it appropriately with good writing. They confronted the issues within the fan base. Like, it, it, it's really funny, but growing up with PD is, is probably like one of my favorite understandings of the world because I've always thought that, that my blood family has had a lot harder time getting over the LGBTQI plus debate. And, and it's mostly out of religious dogmatism, but also out of societal fear because society has absolutely been willing to be fearful and, and share fear porn every day of the week. And, that, and that's what they do. And, and, and that's how they make the dollar, their daily dollar. And that's, uh, I get it. Not okay, I understand. Not okay, I understand. And for me, knowing how much Parker has loved Star Trek his entire life, every iteration until Enterprise, he had a big problem with Enterprise, but then... Came around the, on that uh, one too. Yeah, and he came around. And when the 2009 stuff came out, he was back. Like... There was a time where he got pretty quiet. He's like, yeah, I guess Star Trek's for the nerds and I'll keep it with my nerd friends. But then he came back when when we showed that the, the show deserved the big screen. Like did and does, always will. But then to remember the child that Parker was, the one that was watching Deep Space Nine, and to know the man that he has become, who has learned to accept the LGBTQI plus community for people, at the very least, for humans deserving of love at the very least, I can only blame Star Trek. I can only blame Deep Space Nine. And, and, and that to me is why Kurtzman, and here's the swear, is a fucking idiot. Because he would disrespect the Star Trek audience that converted Christians to love. Literally, an entire religion that claims to be the loving of the loving. Well, I'll, I'll take it a step Star further. Trek I'll say was it goes one that converted. I'll say it goes all, all religious fundamentalism. Honestly, I mean, let's be real here. Most most anybody. I I can't say for sure that I've met and grew okay, up fair with enough. a Muslim or other religious affiliate that was changed by Star Trek. That that was able, like, especially like christianity and and muslim too like i i do hope there are some i i hope there's tons i hope cameron pasha was influenced by it. but but what i really want to say is is more than anything like those religions literally made it okay to murder the gays and the difference and the witches and star trek a show that those religions call pagan and just anti-theocracy and anti-love and anti-good converted somebody back to love because those religions are stupid and dramatic because they have no standing in reality because they're not funded on reality. They are funded on realistic words. They're funded on teachers who actually preach love, but they're founded on people who killed people well see i like to say it like this i like to say it like this religion's just the tool because the other thing the other side of it is it does provide a benefit in a lot of communities you know it's you can't really say and, i'm over here i'm um, you can't really say you know i get what you're saying because it's not wrong but it's also not complete no. yeah in yeah. fact there's there's a lot more behind it but 
this is also more of a rant for the Rogue Council anyway. I do, I will say, I appreciate everything you said, little brother. And I love that you're enjoying this show. And honestly, the three of us are really enjoying watching you watch it for the first time. I'm glad that you're not, you know, just power bombing all the I, way just, through. One more, I, it's not because I'm naive about religion, but it's to call out the religious. Because you still have your power. You're still popes, you're still priests, you're still pastors, you're still reverends, you're still yogis, you're still gurus. Be fucking better because you said you are. Okay. I, I, I feel like I gotta kind of jump in this a little bit. Go ahead. You guys have heard this, heard me say this before. That, look, almost every religion starts from a place of, gee, wouldn't it be nice if everyone was nice to each other? And then people start defining nice. And then people go, well, because it's this narrow definition, I can rules layer this to just be who I want to be anyway. And the truth of the matter is the difference between a person who claims to be a religious man and a regular everyday person going about their other vocations is this. They have decided to make it their personal responsibility to be a beacon of their ideal way forward for other people to follow. The problem is some of those people are still people and they suck. And, but, you know, the only way we deal with that is by, okay, look, you can call those people out, but they still think they're in the right. What you have to do is just kind of what I'm doing, which is trying to be a decent person and admitting, hey, I'm a person and sometimes I'm going to screw it up, but I try and you go from there. I, I, I agree on the individual perspective, but if you're paid for a job and your job includes a standard of ethic and you fail to meet that ethic, Get out of the job before you degrade the standard. And if you can't quit, you are the problem. If yeah, your, I, I ethic, get... your morality degrades the standard, you don't belong there. That's why I got out of the Marines. I cannot honestly uphold the Marine Corps value. So I walked out when my contract was done and I don't denigrate anybody who walked in after me. I couldn't handle the standard and I don't handle the standard, but I learned the standard matters yeah. and it can be enforced it's... by even the most crayon aiding brain lead drinking idiot that joins the Marines. Therefore it can definitely be upheld by anybody who takes money to re lead a religion. If you make a dollar to be good, you better be good every single day. Otherwise, you don't deserve the dollar and you're a liar. And own that too. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying and it's all well and good. The thing is, a lot of them are intentionally gaslighting their followers so that they keep staying on the plantation. But that's a discussion for the Rogue oh, Council. I, I know that. I, I'm it's not, not naive a... to, to their bullying. Uh, okay, I'm just done not Do you want to talk about 1923 bullying. at the end of the show or not? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is all part of 1923. So, well, it kind in, of is. In my opinion, no, because no, because the whole right, show then. of 1923 for me, I, for my opinion from this episode for for the greater woke debate as a whole. 1923 is the epitome of 
the good whites versus the bad whites versus the good whites that everybody called the good whites versus the Native Americans. And I generalize it that way, and I'll point out the team. So you've got the Duttons. The Duttons are American as America gets. They walked their happy asses all the way to Yellowstone Ranch. They cultivated the acres that were provided to them under the doctrine of manifest destiny, which actually was a legal policy that led to something like 40 acres for 40 acres cared for over five years. And in that instance, the Duttons did it and they did it right. And they continued to do it right. They did it so right that they enforced good law and order and then joined the law enforcement when it was necessary to be a part of the community policing the community. And then they also enforced maybe some people aren't as bad as everybody says they are. And just because they did a criminal act, it was actually for the greater good. And the whole show, whether it's Yellowstone in modern times, 1883 or 1923, all you have is you have the Dutton family doing exactly what they're legally authorized to do while simultaneously what they are morally and justifiably obligated to do. And then you have everybody against them. And then you also have this group of Native Americans that are growing up literally parallel to Yellowstone because that's what inevitably becomes the the Native American ranch is the ranch occupying the property around Yellowstone. Wow, spoilers, bro. No. (laughs) Got your joke. Took me a second. Got it. I wanted to double check that I didn't screw up. Yeah, I know. Historic spoilers (laughs) aren't real spoilers. (laughs) But then in 1923 you have the moral justification for everything that created the morality and the policy that like Yellowstone, the show in the modern times is nothing more than a corporation. It is absolutely the definition of a business entity solving business issues internationally and intercontinentally. And in that essence, It had to come up with its policies, morals, its contracts, all of that. And 1923 is showing you where those came from. And where those came from were from the good who had to fight the gross, the evil, the greedy, the... What's that term they love for millennials? Um, Oh, man. I honestly can't think of it. I got a baby. The word I believe you're looking for is entitled? the entitlement of people who have just lived in an area and had a penis yeah like he he thought he killed dutton and he had the cock cat yeah that's not it's not really gonna work unfortunately so i know what you were saying though uh read your comment in the in discord earlier about why you think that four is a better um a better conclusion and I mean, if we want to follow up and, and reiterate that, I think that'd be fine if, if we're able to get the noise under control. I mean, I still stand by what I said. I, I think three had a better, from a narrative perspective of, of 
So let me explain why the letter reading, the letter reading is what finally gave us the two timelines. And that's what made four. Okay. Because we finally had the rest of the story that was the Dutton ranch between when Spencer was called for and when Spencer got there. And now we have until February 5th to return. And it turns out he read that letter three months ago but as we saw back at yellowstone they had sent that letter right before we started the letter reading episode or part of the episode and to me like it it's more about how well those four episodes in line with this episode break in line with just the conglomerate of cliches that there are which is like the most common is four weeks earlier and we got it twice in this series so far because the first scene in episode one was uh, Dutton's wife doing her job, putting bodies down. And then, you know, we catch up in season three and then in, or in episode three and then in episode four, we finally get the aftermath and then do a pause. That to me actually is literary okay like not only according to the way we're observing the story but the way we're intaking the story and to the way the story was delivered to us they literally told us there was a pause break we're three months behind in one story and right on like right at the beginning of those three months in another story what's going on and and if you're gonna mess it up if you're gonna cause this break that's how you do it. And, and I really wanted to point to that because I think they did it right for the first time in greedy corporate history. Uh, like I said, for me, it was, I, I'm looking at this as like a mid season break. And so I, I guess I'm just used to, you know, you have the big shock moment and then, and then it comes, you know, you're supposed to think on it, discuss it at the water cooler. And then you come back for when the show comes back on. I think the biggest issue, you know, and I think, you know what, there's probably some personal bias in the way it was executed because one of my biggest complaints about Game of Thrones, and this is where I argue when it started to fall off, was the way they went about doing the Red Wedding in Episode 9, and then they gave us that just kind of epilogue, boring, nothing happens as the season finale. And I thought... I think the Red Wedding should have been the season finale, not a follow-up episode that just kind of leaves you going, do I really want to bother with season four? But that's just that's just one writer's no, opinion I on actually, the execution. I, I wholly hear you, but I also want to re reiterate that there was something that we kind of just glossed over. Never before have we had Indiana Jones four weeks in a row. Hour length Indiana Jones movies where Harrison Ford gets to be one of our favorite actors because he's just a good guy. He's a punk made actor from day one, whether it was Star Wars all the way to today, he's never really been somebody we have a problem with. Every movie he's in, we're like, okay, you shouldn't have done Indiana 5. Right, and and you probably shouldn't do the next Indiana. Oh, we're we're thinking about we're not talking. Yeah, we're, we haven't we haven't that, said don't do Dial of Destiny just yet, but we're getting there. Oh, I have. I mean, so, wait a we. You don't need to see the movie to know it sucks. We've never had Harrison Ford four hours in a row, four weeks in a row. 
And I, I want to applaud the streaming industry for finally giving us that. Like, if well, it wasn't for Netflix, if it wasn't for Hulu, if it wasn't for everybody finally realizing that this method works, we would never get... Because every episode, even on his deathbed episode in four, wow, did he still play a great freaking character. Like, it was so awesome. It's so fun. So, that's why... Yeah, like, he's dying. I love it. Who deserves, who deserves a mid season break being different than social standards and who did it right like that that's a solid industry first and i watch a lot of this industry so when i say it's a first i'm not talking from lack of experience well i am gonna say this um harrison ford is good but Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford together on the screen is a force freaking multiplier. That's where well, we get quality. Yeah, I did see I did see a meme that basically was like 1923 is the Force Awakens Han Solo and uh Leia, yeah. Princess Leia we deserved. Yep. Like, yeah, I said this that is the last couple week. That they always represented. Oh, it was you. I thought it was a meme. No, it is. Yeah, you're right, Parker. Like you should make it into a meme. Go ahead, take 100%, all the credit. Hundred percent. It's the real story between them because I could see these two raising Kylo and losing faith in Kylo and losing Kylo, but not what we got. No. What we got is just bad fan fiction that we don't we don't need well, to discuss. Dude, Spencer makes us. Sick Kylo, now that I all just said that. Like, as far as who deserves to be Kylo, oh, no, he came back and destroyed America? Yeah, they abused him and mistreated him and mistreated his entire family, the entire existence that their family was a name. But, you know. Yeah, anyway, uh, gotta cut the noise there, John. But one guy, Tyler, could do it with Forsha. Yeah, anyway... One guy, Taylor. So we, Sorry, we are all Tyler. definitely all Taylor about families all on this four show. Of, these shows. of course, sometimes our families like to express their love for us a little bit uh, too loudly at the wrong possible time. Oh well, it happens. Um. Anyway, but I think that's uh, that's a show. Guys. This is uh, yeah. We're pretty much down to the last uh, couple of minutes here. Um, I do want to thank everybody who stopped by, of course, to share your thoughts and ideas. Uh, shout out to Nemesis of Eden. Hope your stream's going well course arende rami really glad you guys contributed to the discussion dantastic a little bit of discussion contribution there as well and uh yeah um we are also available on i believe spotify and apple podcasts if you just prefer an audio non-live version usually try to get it uploaded at the very latest the next day um next week we'll be discussing ds9 and and I just realized we have an open schedule, so we might have to check out that documentary that Corion recommended earlier in the show. I think that would be a cool. good one. We we do also like doing documentaries from time to time. That would actually um, that would make a huge like debate topic. We could spend most of our show talking about that because about it's about censorship. ratings and all yeah. the things we love. Yeah, yeah. No, well, we, not necessarily we could... in terms of the grand scheme, but more about censorship for children. Like, like, what Which do we protect our children from intentionally? Well, well, lots of things, but I guess we'll we'll want to get into that uh, on next week's show. Uh, um, 
But yeah, if you guys made it all the way to the end, again, we're glad you're here. And um, any final thoughts real quick, guys, before we kill it? Yeah, um, I love you guys. I'm so happy that we're doing this podcast. I, I, I mean, both the audience. I'm Peter York with the Ryder Brothers. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of the Ryder Brothers Tuesday Night Live Show.